welcome, welcome to, to the, the Heart to Heart, Heart podcast. podcast. Um, today we have two very, very special guests here with us today. Um, would you like to introduce yourselves? My name is uh, Antoine Stewart. I work at Boys Latin of Philadelphia. I've been there for 10 years. I've worked in education for 18 now. Um, I do uh, special ed co-teaching and classroom support. I do some behavioral stuff, um, disciplinary things. I coach baseball there. Um, I have a 16-year-old son, so uh, that's pretty much it. And I am Marquise Richards. I am a literature teacher, ninth grade literature teacher at Boys Lion High School as well. Um, outside of just teaching, I'm also a podcaster, activist. Um, I do a lot of work surrounding black masculinity around the community as well. Um, yeah, I was I accidentally fell into education, um, was not planning on teaching ever. <laughs> um, but then I accidentally fell into it um, three years ago. But I've been in the realm of education. So nonprofit space, college advising space, um, after school spaces and education technology. So the ed tech space as well. Um, so, yeah, I've been all around, but I found my spot in teaching. So we out here. Yeah. Yes. Good, good. Um, before we start, I think we should start with a little icebreaker. Okay. Um, so to get more comfortable and get the conversation to flow easy, easily, um, what was your most embarrassing memory in school that you can recall? As a student? Or as a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> My mind just went straight to the spelling bee in fourth grade, oh. and I would need to spell refrigerator, but I put refrigerate. Did I? I confused the E and the R at the end, and I just remember sitting there. I was like, whoa, I think I messed that up. And they said, you did. And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked off the stage. <laughs> I just remember breaking out in a cold sweat, and I said, wow, I publicly did this. And I'm one of those like perfectionist kids, mm. so I'm just like... Ooh, didn't like that, but it was funny when I look back on it. They said, you always remember the word you forgot. And I said, you do. Thank you. Don't remind me again. Mine was more of a social setting. So when I arrived at uh, Henderson High School in ninth grade, I walked in the building and I was like in awe of how big the building was. And then I started seeing like older girls that were in 11th and 12th grade. So towards the end of the first school day, I tried to talk to a senior and that's when I realized how low in social status I was because she was like, you're a freshman and I really can't <laughs> pay you any mind. And that was pretty much my first day of high school. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's like, it was especially humbling. now in social media days. Yeah, it would have been crazy. Never heard the end of it. Would have been known for that. <laughs> should, should I tell another embarrassing story? Please. I know I told one last episode. So um, I must've been in the fourth grade and my music teacher, Mr. Thornley, was friends with my grandparents who were classical mu music. They were classical singers. Mm -hmm. And so Mr. Thornley came into the classroom and he was like, um, you know, this is little Jaws. Um, and she is the granddaughter of these amazing classical singers. <laughs> and they are, uh, you know, go to this church and they do these concerts or whatever. And then we had the music class. And at the end of the class, he's like, <laughs> go ahead and sing the sing the note and I, I didn't I didn't sing the note that well um, so that was very embarrassing um 
Oh, I'm trying to think of another one. I don't know if anything will top. Last episode, I told a story about how a marshmallow contest gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like it's... This and, sounds um, like it. Is one of them challenges? <laughs> how many marshmallows do you even, fit in your mouth? I think it could have been, but for me, I was... <laughs> It was I was eating the marshmallows and it just didn't stay that way for long and it just happened on the third floor. And oh, you exploded. Yeah. It was just embarrassing. <laughs> makes sense. Just completely. And it was just um No, but I think I've had a singing incident before. I think um I think it was at this school, which is a performing arts school too, to make matters a slight bit worse. Um <laughs> And it was like before you go to school and like pick your major, you go around and rotate majors. And um, I remember going and doing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. I was like, this is easy. Like I can get up there and do it. Completely wrong. Like I was just completely wrong. Like I did way too much for Twinkle Twinkle Little Star for a voice check to see if you were a soprano or an alto. I thought I was like like a singer singer. And they were just like, oh, so good so adorable i was like no journey like, sounds like an snl really skit going wrong okay. <laughs> um but yeah we all have our fair share of embarrassing moments so thank you guys for sharing um i want to know more about your rise to becoming a teacher and getting in the place that you are today if you mind sharing so with with me um it started when i uh, i was attending long island university and my first major was sports management. So I kind of realized like, I don't know, a third through the first semester that I don't know if I had necessarily the tech to do that in the way that I needed to. I wasn't connected to a sports or entertainment firm, you know, I'm young black male, whatever, whatever, trying to find my way. So um, I left LIU. I didn't have enough money to go back. When I came back to Philly, I moved in with Joss's now wife, Jennifer, and her brother, who is one of my best friends that I went to high school with. Uh, we moved in down South Philly on Fernand Street. Um, I started working at Wawa downtown. And then uh, I got a job at a learning center via one of my um, high school friends. Her mom was a um, director. And uh, I went in there and I started realizing like there was a huge deficit, deficit with... Uh, black male educators and just like what black male boys needed so then i started mm -hmm. in early childhood and i was always like the only male in the building i was mm -hmm. the only male that was around and a lot of people assumed that i was gay for whatever reason but i really truly liked and have always liked being around kids and just like the whole watching them grow having an impact on them being um able to mentor so that's when i realized that i needed to go into education and i switched everything up and i changed my major to education from there i ended up focusing on grade school for a little while i worked in middle school and then eventually i moved into uh working with boys at bl at a high school on a high school level mm. so that was my journey to this uh destination that i'm currently at that's Boom. awesome yeah, um, I did not go to school for education at all. If you would have met me about six years ago, all my friends be like, oh, Marquise, not messing with no kids at all. <laughs> I went to school for theater. I went to school for broadcasting. I, that was my thing. Um, but there was a moment in time in my philosophy and hip hop class 
where my professor was discussing like how black people take up space mm-hmm. in white spaces. And this is right after the um, cops were called on two black men in Starbucks in Philly. Mm. And so in that same time frame, Beyonce had just won a Peabody Award for Lemonade and Kendrick just won a Pulitzer Prize for Damn for both of those albums at that time. And he was like, what does it look like for black people to enter in infiltrate and be celebrating in these traditionally white spaces for a craft that is our own. And we did that all in the middle of a student center next to a Starbucks having this class. And I said, whoa, (laughs) teaching can happen anywhere. The irony. Yeah, no, truly. (laughs) So after I got out of college, I ended I was a full-time social media and content consultant because that's what most of my internship experience was in. Um, and I was like, all right, I'm going to end up in some TV studio. I'm going to be in New York. I'm going to be living. And I said, mm, I'm going home. Mm, I love that for me. Um, so in that moment when I became that social media content consultant, I was like, I am not fulfilled at all in this. It was just task driven, task driven, task driven. And I said, hmm, what made me feel whole? I really enjoyed when I had my internship in New York and I was working with connecting black and brown industry professionals with under um, under-resourced schools. Love that. I was like, oh, that's a mission. Oh, I loved in theater when I got to sit down and talk to the audience and teach them around the world of the theater and why we made decisions that we did. Oh, that's education. That's connection. Cool. I And that's the first time, you know, Virgos are very calculated. <laughs> yes. I quit my job without a thing. And I looked at my mom. I said, I can't work there anymore. I'm not even going to do it in two weeks. I'm quitting. (laughs) And right after that, the door opened up and my best friend Amanda said, hey, Marquise, there's this opportunity at UPenn to work with the summer STEM program to get black and brown kids involved in STEM. They do a restorative justice model. They focus on social emotional learning. I think this is right up your alley. I said, I don't do nothing about STEM, but I'll be the RA. Um, but got in there and it was just a natural of commanding a room of 60 high school students who are given all of the resources possible. Mm. And when they give kids the resources that they all need, they created, they were developing apps. They were trying to figure out how do I use STEM to address a social issue? Mm-hmm. A group of black kids were like, why don't we use AR to figure out how to decrease women dying in pregnancy, mm-hmm. black women specifically. So they were given the resources. They were able to market out to these national organizations, these thinkers, these people who can invest. What happens if we give every black child or brown child that opportunity to be fully resourced and tap into their potential and just give them the opportunity to try? In that moment, I said, oh, go to after school spaces. Mm. Creative entrepreneurship, mental health is what I focused on the after school space. Left SLA, ended up at Paul Robeson High School, one of my favorite high schools to work at. And then I was like, well, what do I look like in a classroom? I taught seventh grade as an IA. I became a lead teacher last What's year. What's IA? An instructional assistant, so like oh, a okay. paraprofessional. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, ooh, this is great. Seventh grade, became a lead teacher in fifth grade. I'm not meant for fifth grade, I'm going to be honest. 10-year-olds, <laughs> I don't like that age. All right, different breed. D- definitely. I started with high school students, and I said, this is my bread and butter to get my sarcasm. <laughs> and then I came to BL last year and was just like, oh, this is my sweet spot. Mm. And that's the first time I ever taught all boys. So I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, this is different. Because I'm used to the energies mm-hmm. intermingling. So this was the first time, but I found myself really enjoying it. And to be able to teach literature in a way that I love mm-hmm. and having a little bit more agency over what I get to teach and push these boys differently. 
I said, oh, I can see myself here for a couple more years. A few more years, to be honest. So we out here. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. That's um, I think hearing you talk, it made me, both of you talk, it made me interested in what you think, especially from a student perspective, what you think is the hardest thing about teaching a younger generation, especially this generation. That's very, oh, the faces. <laughs> that's very um, cellular driven and internet driven and everything. So because I've come from the span of starting in early childhood, so I had like, I was at learning centers, I had centers. I seen uh, girls and boys at the early stages of social development, academic development, development. I've dealt with, you know, single parent, dual parent homes and all along the spectrum of status, right? So that was one thing and then getting to middle school and meeting the kids before they got to where they are now. Like I worked at Haverford middle school for two years. So the kids that I taught there are now in their mid twenties and they follow me on social media and I've seen their life play out from start to finish. So it was hard to adjust to trying to connect with them all the time because with me, like he was just talking about being an IA, that's like the, just of what I do. So that dynamic gives me in, uh, the ability to get into the kids way faster than a lead or general ed teacher can. Cause I call it like a 21 jump street theory. Like I don't present myself as a teacher, but I am one. Mm-hmm. So it get, it's less their guard down and now I'm receiving information that I normally wouldn't get if mm-hmm. I was a traditional content teacher or had them in a standalone subject. So I get to do a lot of things and get to intervene on things that a lot of teachers don't traditionally get to have access to. So connecting with this um, new generation and the last two was easier because I was able to develop that skill. That's why I missed the after school space because I got to hear all the trash they want to talk about their teachers. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Now I am the teacher. (laughs) Um, The arch nemesis. Look, okay. Yeah, no, but I think that's interesting because for me, I think the hardest part around this generation is because of them being so connected on social media that they think they have to live such a picture perfect life. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I can't come. I had 10 year old girls in my fifth grade class doing their edges because they said, I can't look crazy in class. I said, I like that this is happening, but make sure you get your work done. Um, But I think as this thing is happening though, and they're in social media, we're not in actual community with each other. Mm. So because of that, I think kids of this generation, as much as they're more socially and politically aware, their social interaction skills are actually severely down. They don't know how to go through the process of, oh, I don't know this thing, so I have to work to get to know this thing Mm. and feel comfortable with learning. So in the front of my class, if you ever walk in, my big quote there is, I don't want you to be perfect, but I want you to try. So as long as they are trying their best, you should be comfortable enough to make mistakes. School should be the space to make mistakes. But these kids are so just like, this dance has to be perfect and I gotta make sure I'm keeping up with this and keeping up with this. The priorities are no long, is no longer education. The priority right now is I need to be the coolest person possible so nobody can bid on me next. Mm. Nobody can come at me next. These kids are scared to eat free lunch yes. mm. because if, I get, if I'm getting caught eating a freebie, what's that mean? Mm. 
y'all, we're all in Philly. <laughs> and they don't even understand the dynamic of like, if you're basing your status off of you getting free lunch, like I think you need to take a look around your environment and realize that you are a little bit, you fall defined under underprivileged. That's just mm. it. So mm. getting free lunch is actually economically sound for you because mm-hmm. you don't have to spend money on lunch mm-hmm. but they don't think that they don't have that abstract thinking ability mm-hmm. and that's what i was going to piggyback off of with the um insta culture mm-hmm. like we're in a space right now where like everything needs to be instantly obtained instant satisfaction instant success instant this instant that like mm-hmm. they will constantly try to check and balance a teacher about well you didn't put my grades in well, you didn't really complete the the assignment <laughs> one time, so I, I don't really move on your accord. <laughs> so it's like you have to wait. Like you need patience, <laughs> and they do not grasp that at all. Which is why, as an English teacher, it's been interesting because a lot of these boys are told like you have to be logically driven. You are have to be logical. So math and science will make sense to them. <laughs> Sitting there and having to get to know a character and having to write and having to do this thing on top of that pandemic. <laughs> Kids are scared of a pencil. Kids are scared to have to read for long periods of time because I have to sit with this character's decisions. I have to now think on an abstract way that I'm not comfortable with doing yet. We have to literally teach kids how to interact with literature and art. They are, And that's so weird to think about. I'm like, y'all have everything. But TikTok tells you to do everything. <laughs> so you don't actually have to imagine anything anymore. Mm. And because you don't have that imagination... You don't interact with film. You don't interact with music. You don't interact with mm-hmm. art, theater, the same way of like having that imagination. I'm just like, when was the last time? Like, when's the last time you got to create something that's original, that is your own? Mm. And I don't know the last time that they've had that, at least from what I've seen so far. And to speak off of what he said about, you know, understanding a character and a story, I have a film club for our leadership academy. So when I start connecting the dots from, missing scene from sound from editing and mm-hmm. just how you're supposed to watch a movie based off of what you learn in lit <laughs> and english mm-hmm. they're like oh this all makes sense now i'm Mr. like rich has made sense yeah i'm like you should have been paying attention because you can benefit and enjoy the movie more in the story the mm. theme the characterization the climax the rising action the fall in action they're not familiar with that stuff mm-hmm. and then it's a deficit for when they go take the SATs or when they have to actually read a passage in our standardized testing which we're held to the highest regard in if they don't do well I mean or the lowest whatever so it's a struggle that they're constantly facing like they just don't have tact in that area and a lot of the students that I have conversations with to try to get a sense of their educational history mm-hmm. have been neglected from as early as kindergarten and as recent as eighth grade because we have ninth graders who come in that are on a grade level equivalency of third or fourth grade mm. what do you fifth mean grade. neglected i mean neglected by the sense of in traditional learning and teaching you had teachers in a public school setting that were tenured right mm-hmm. or teachers that are in an urban setting that aren't familiar with urban culture so their ability to connect before content Mm. is cut off and all they want to do is hand out worksheets or sit in a room or you're stuck with a sub Mm. a long-term sub Mm -hmm. or you're labeled a disruption or a disciplinary issue so now you're totally removed from whatever 
skills you were supposed to be developing, whatever things you were benchmarks you were supposed to meet, mm. and now you're behind. And then you had no child left behind, mm-hmm. which mm. caused a whole bunch of social promotion and other things that were not conducive to like traditional learning. Mm-hmm. And then you have now the Common Core stuff that went on, which is horrible. What is that? That's more like, um, he can probably speak to it a lot more than I can, but just it's the sense of like, it's common stuff that's supposed to go on in content, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not really conducive on them actually learning and retaining anything. Hmm. Yeah, so they are taught that completion is essentially good working that deserves an A. Rather Mastering than accurate. of a skill. Yeah. Oh, that's what we do now. Yeah. How mm-hmm. we grade it. And that was something I didn't mean to cut you no, off. You're good, go ahead. It's um a grading system that like was a weird shift for us. It was like basically created so no kid could fail. But what? you can't the, get below a yeah, sixty ever. But the whole thing of it is making it this such a big safety net that it's like if I can't fail, why would I do anything, you know? Mm. Yep. And it's just caused, like, this big confusion. Parents are mad. Students are mad. Like, it's not fair that I come to class and I do this and that extra credit, and I can't even get a four, but he th- doesn't turn in anything, but he doesn't fail. It's, like, really weird. So I want to hear you guys speak more on that. I like where you were going. Mm. It's <laughs> false sense of security. Yeah. Yeah. And success. And it's it's hard to deal with because when you have teachers who care, like it's disheartening because we're in here and we're just like as a ninth grade teacher, I'm hoping that you're on a ninth grade level. I am hoping that they did not just let you slip by and you're coming in here and you don't even know how to use a comma. You don't know how to uppercase the first letter of a sentence or indent or indent. (laughs) No, seriously, these kids are writing like they text. So sometimes on their paper, they will write like this. So you see how this stops right here? Mm-hmm. That's how they're writing because it looks like a text message, right? And so in that, I'm like, I can't even push you in literature where you need to an- analyze these things because you don't have the foundations of what is a metaphor? How do I put it together a paragraph? Uh, just a simple five sentence paragraph. Oh, how many sentences do I need to finish in order to get this done? I'm sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you guys are like talking like the knowledge you're dropping. I'm like, wait, do I do I know these? Th- okay, I got it. I got it. You know, yeah. inciting incident. Okay, but the metaphors. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but yes, yes. I can't imagine, you know, being in a classroom where you're trying to teach and mm-hmm. you you have to reserve all of that until yeah. you can get them to like a basic level. And I'm a teacher that geeks out. I'm gonna be honest. I'm just like, <laughs> yes, that's the thing. You're doing the thing today. Yes. And they know. And so even in that though, it's hard because we are set with these standards that we are supposed to meet. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I have to go back and teach you how to identify a nonfiction piece, which you're supposed to learn in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. I have to teach you how to identify poetry and fiction, stuff you learn in fourth and fifth grade. But when you have a system that brings teachers in, they last for two to three years now, they're not sitting with the kids for that long, or they're trying to just get in and get out, that's a completely different beast because teachers are also burnt out so mm. it's just like one where's the teacher taking care of themselves and how do we change a system that ensures that teachers are able to sustain and in our that burnout that's a direct correlation to how these kids learn because if i'm coming in and just trying to get by I, all right you turn in your paper i can't sit with you after school 
because <laughs> I'm out. I'm burnt out already. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't give you this extra push that I want to give you because now you're upset with me because I had to admit to you. I had a student last year who was upset with me because I told him, I said, you're not an A plus writer yet. You're not there yet. But his teacher that he had before me said, oh, you completed. You're good. Here's your A. Here's your A. Here's your A. Well, how come when Mr. Richards got here, then I'm suddenly getting a B minus. My work's not good enough. And there are some teachers who are lying to our black children who are just in here to get this check and go. And I looked at them and I said, she was not honest with you. You are not prepared for 11th grade. You're not. Your writing ability is not ready for 11th grade. You are going to be just as frustrated next year when you're getting C's because 9th and 10th grade, they told you were A plus writer and you're not even capitalizing the first letter in a sentence. Whoa. You're not even using yes. citing examples, right? <laughs> you cannot tell me that you're a writer, that you're an A plus student when they let you get by. And that's nothing to demonize a child for. And I remind them, I said, that is not your fault that they pushed you through. Mm. That's on the teacher and the administration for saying, oh, this is good enough to get to the next grade and go so you can get out and we can bring more in. So we have to talk around the system, talk around the teachers who perpetuate the system. Kids don't know any better. You told them this was good enough. So I think that's um that's really interesting. It's actually one of the reasons we wanted to focus on educators this season mm-hmm. because we recognize that teachers were getting burned out and that um, there weren't a lot of spaces for teachers to actually talk. Like I think people talk to students a lot. Um, but yeah, we were really interested in like how are one, you know, what are te- some of teachers' challenges uh, right now, especially after the pandemic and um, you know, what is causing that sense of burnout, you know, and and like what do we need to do or what do the schools need to do? Like what needs to happen so that our teachers are well? Well, first and foremost, the what's as a result of the pandemic has been a thing, I guess, for close to 15 years like teacher shortages um lack of student engagement things of that nature like the traditional sense that our kids are taught in and especially specifically black kids it's not engaging Mm. it's not we're not meeting them and using the means that they use to get through day-to-day life to get them to understand the power of like knowledge like they just don't get it i'm like when i first started working at boys latin i was supporting a history class and um, the dude was a, uh, he almost made it to the NFL. He played collegiate football. He was a linebacker, or whatever, whatever. So he had a, a teacher page. So what he did was to test out this theory about how they don't pay attention to stuff or are not curious or investigate. He put the whole test key on his teacher page. How many th- views do you think it got? Mm, how many? Zero. Zero? If I were in ninth or 10th grade, in 95 96 and i found a test on my teacher's page not only would i have made money off of it i, I would have gotten 100 i was born that year so my fault. don't that even year? do that but anyway, i would have made money off of it like that's just how my mind works like I, I don't know how to hustle or move any other way but there would have been curiosity like even if you just gave me a hint it was some cryptic message i'm going to your page and why are you not looking for any type of support in the struggle that you have in front of you they just 
they don't and the last part of this is parent accountability and involvement like mm-hmm. it, it needs to be more there needs to be a push for you to want to be involved in every step of what your child is doing and learning and you should be teaching them how to challenge something that they shouldn't be told or taught mm-hmm. That's how I was guided. Like, I don't really know how else to move. Like, I've always tried to challenge authority and some information. I got kicked out of my eighth grade. That was not embarrassing, but it was close (laughs) to it. In eighth grade, we were talking about Christopher Columbus. I had a social studies teacher who was had been in Vietnam and he was probably like on the cusp of 70. So he was already like agitated. He really didn't connect with us, but he was already teacher. So we were talking about Christopher Columbus and how he discovered America. So I brought up the fact of how it was a lie. And I'm like, he didn't discover anything. I said, if I come to your front yard and put my culture's flag, state, country, whatever, is it now my front yard? Mm. And he looked at me and he was like, no. I'm like, so then how does the other stand true for Christopher Columbus? Mm-hmm. He was like, you know what, Mr. Dustasu, because I had a hyphenated name, he was like, you can leave my classroom now. For under." And when I went to the principal's office, it was about undermining authority. And I was like, wow. no, I'm just challenging some information that, like, I'm being lied to. Right. And that was my middle school experience for eighth grade that was memorable for the school year but i say that to say that the parents need to be more involved like and you have to know what your child's strengths are what the weaknesses are if you have a child that's of special needs you're not being indicted as a parent you didn't break your child you need to be as supportive as possible because that's what you're supposed to do as a parent Mm -hmm white black asian whatever like you're supposed to be there to make sure your child gets the best that they're they need and once you get past the fact that your child has an iep if they do fall under that guys what's what's can you iep is an individualized education plan so like anytime kids have academic deficiencies behavioral issues um if they're gifted, there's a certain way that they have to be instructed. There's certain accommodations and modifications that have to be made so that kid can get the same education that a general ed student would get. Mm-hmm. So it's not anything that is negative. It's actually is a safeguard that can get you through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It gets you small group testing. It gets you a modified test. It gets you certain things, considerations that you wouldn't get as a general ed student. Mm-hmm. But because it's taboo in our culture to be labeled as such. Mm -hmm. And going back to the coddling and early child development, I used to sit in parent-teacher conferences for kindergartners and pre-K, and they would look at me and be like, well, why do I need to reach these benchmarks? I'm like, because it's part of your child's development. Mm -hmm. If they're not doing these things, there's something wrong cognitively, and you need to intervene now before they get to grade school Mm -hmm. and this is kept private like your son's not information is not or daughter is not going to be shared with the entire school district Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work that way Mm -hmm. but because of the spectrum of ignorance and and experience it's a lot of fear and a lot of no you're i don't want to do that Mm -hmm. all right cool so then when he doesn't get what he needs grade three or four and then he's cut off There's nothing you can do. And I don't think a lot of people realize like third and fourth grade is the biggest deciding year for your child in Mm. learning Mm. and development that out of any other one. Mm. And a lot of people are not aware of that. So that's when these deficiencies come into play after the fact. Mm. So if your child was in third or fourth grade and didn't get the proper 
reading instruction or mm-hmm. exposure to reading or you haven't been reading or mm-hmm. talking to them regularly, then they're going to struggle with that moving forward. Mm. And it spills over into every other content part of learning. Mm. Yeah, because I also think that adds to the to the burnout to mm. that point as well. Um, yeah, look, like I said, I'm 26. I'm the generation. I got multiple streams of income. Stop playing with me. Like, <laughs> I will quit. <laughs> I will quit. <laughs> um, but in reality, I think the hard part when it is coming to teachers and what's leading to it is like there's a compounding idea of teacher guilt um, of just like, I need to show up for these kids every day. And if mm-hmm. I don't show up, who else will? It's that little bit of adjust your savior complex, but also know you're just feeling guilty as a teacher because these kids require consistency. But also when you think about where they started and like where their education is going for them, if they are getting pushed through the pipeline, third, fourth grade and not getting a development, some of us are also just like, well, what can I do now? Mm. Like, it's really just like it feels like you're dejected because you're just like. I'm teaching, but there's so much that you lost. And so there is also that point of like. We come into this job because teaching is a selfless job. Teaching is purposeful. You are doing this because you you are cultivating and inspiring curiosity. However, when you're telling me at this point, like, there's no way I can move the needle for this kid. And you're not going to get every kid, but you want to get every kid. <laughs> and so even in that, I think that's leading to the burnout because in a space of, yeah, there's instant gratification in a space of like, I want to be making this change because that's what we got into this for. We're not seeing it. And normally we're not going to see it for five, 10 years until they come back and be like, yo, Mr. Richards, what you did for me 10 years ago was great. What you did for me three years ago was great. Yo, Mr. Stu, what you did for me 16 years ago was great. And I come back and I can get that come back now. But in reality, in a newer generation, if when you're thinking about the pandemic, the great resignation, having to go back into a school building, we're one of the few professions that are we lit- quite literally need to be in the building because kids need a physical connection to their teachers. We saw what happened virtually. Mm. You can, mm, all right, I don't feel like zooming. Oh, mm, my internet's messing up. I don't got to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> like, we know what happened. Mm. Or the fake pages. Right. They had actual memes that were actively moving like they were them. And or either the they slide were asleep. camera. Yes. They'd be like, oh, my camera won't turn on. Just slide the thing on top. That's all it is. Mm, can't do I'm it. Sorry. Oops. Yes. So like there are things that are funny about it, but there are also other parts parts where it's just like kids require such a certain kind of connection. And so with the idea of us having to go back and we've all experienced the trauma of the racial unrest and the pandemic, it's like, oh, I'm in here every day and I don't have the mindfulness anymore of like I can take my walk. I can quick decompress. I can take that five minutes. I can do this. I was telling you, all I had somebody in my room. Every single minute, Mr. Richard, I just need a hug real quick. Mr. Richard, can I talk to you about this real quick? Oh, actually, another teacher came in real quick. Can I talk to you about this? I need help with this. I'm not. You don't have time. As much as they give us prep, we don't have time to actually sit there because you're dealing with, if I have 75 students, that's 75 different emotions. Plus the students oh, who aren't my students anymore, <laughs> like directly, are still coming back to me. Um, so it's really just this idea that the burnout is happening faster because of what's required, the emotional toll that it takes at a job, but also having to still 
there are things at my job I legitimately have to do. If I don't get my lesson plans in, they're going to try and get me. Mm. If, I, if I'm not following up with parents and grading and doing all of the things that take more time, I'm not getting there. And what requires of us is we have to get to know parents. We got to get to know every single student. We got to understand every single IEP. We have to understand where am I going with this lesson, meet these standards, ensure they pass these keystones, make sure they do. That, that's so much to think about as a teacher. Plus, am I good at what I do? (laughs) So when you think about all of those ideas together, it's no surprise that a generation who's Gen Z or the younger millennials, we're out because we're just like, yo, there's no time for me. Where's your work-life balance? Where's this thing? I do pretty well of balancing the two. But if most of us who are black educators are not going to school for education, our first job outside of school might be education. But in reality... That's not what we go to school for. It's not. So we have to now go back to school, get a certification, do this thing, plus teach, and have to take classes. That's a lot. So when you find out these balances of all of these different things, you start to see why a teacher could particularly burn out much faster or leave the industry so much faster than other professions. So I think that's also what leads to it, especially if they're not creating spaces for mental wellness anymore. No one has the mindfulness of a pandemic anymore. They say, oh, y'all been outside, y'all fine. Mm -hmm. So even with, (laughs) and that's not the reality, we're still dealing with a lot of different stuff and we still deal with the anxiety. Some people don't like being touched anymore. Mm -hmm. Some people don't want to be in close proximity. Some people can't be in big settings. So many of our kids, quiet as it's kept, are experiencing social anxiety. The same way adults are experiencing social anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think that the fact that we came out of the pandemic and it came to the surface, it brought it to a lot of people's attention, just like with the civil unrest. It's like, all right, well, we knew black men were getting killed. We knew this was going on. We knew there was discriminatory practices and systems and all that stuff. But then when you had to sit and watch somebody get murdered on your TV multiple times, it's like, oh, this is really happening. Mm. This is real for them. It's Mm. like, yeah, it's been real for us. It's been real for me since 1979. Like, I don't know how else to look at anything else. There's been a lot of struggles and challenges and obstacles. So the mental health aspect of it, especially with our students, like he was just um, talking about uncovering, like they, again, are scared. They cannot openly and voluntarily have these conversations in the space of their homes because there's a lot of other factors going on. You could, you have classes that are increases in size as little as 18 and as many as 30. So if you have 30 kids in a classroom and 10 or more of them is of a sped background, managing your classroom is a little bit different than being in a completely gen ed classroom. What's a sped background? Special ed, oh. meaning that they they have an IEP. So he may have a classroom that has 20 kids on the roster, but 15 of those kids have IEPs. Mm-hmm. So that means they're all learning at kind of like a roller coaster of levels mm-hmm. and it's not just a on an average a standard mm-hmm. so it's harder to keep them engaged it's harder it's challenging more challenging to get them to do the things that you could do easily with your fourth period class so all that and then they're coming back into the school building there's a lot of deficiency deficits that we didn't even realize because when a kid turns on his camera and the uncle that nobody wants to see or grandma or or the other siblings that you share a room with now this is another thing that turns into a social 
anxiety piece because it's like now people can see the roof the hole in the roof or mm-hmm. that my room's not as new as theirs or i don't have led lights or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. then you had kids that were forced to be in abusive environments that they were escaping during eight hours of the day mm-hmm. now it's 40 or more hours you're face to face with that person and you gotta turn on this laptop to learn so it was it was hard to adjust to and it was hard to witness at the same time mm. i had to go through with my own son his freshman year was virtual so me talking to him and explaining to him in moments of like i need you to get out of your bed and sit at your desk and turn and open up the laptop and actually be actively engaged in what you're doing not only that for a social piece why not just turn your camera on because some girls in your class might see you and then you might meet them face to face next school year that's how that works and it's not to make it just about that but it's like the social piece of of their development is important Mm -hmm. it's huge and especially my son is half sicilian and half black so his identity is well rooted and identifies as black but to the outside world he can get questions of are you mexican are you rican are you this are you that Mm -hmm. so i'm like you need to be as confident as possible Mm -hmm. and carry yourself with high esteem because that's what you're made of Mm -hmm. so these things were all challenges that i had to meet double like on the teaching side and on being a parent Mm -hmm. so it was a lot and like I said, mental health in the black community is not talked about a lot. It's hidden from the era that I come from. I come from where your uncle or your grandfather or whoever wasn't to be dealt with like that was in the back room or in the basement and they came out to get their plate for holidays or whatever mm-hmm. and they went back in their room. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much the gist I, of I it. I had one of those for sure. <laughs> every, like, shout, almost shout out every to Herbert. Herbert was definitely that uncle in the room. He had his cans of baked beans and he just, he was, he was in the room. Every now and then, he would come downstairs and watch a TV show at like 10 p.m. on a Sunday mm-hmm. night. But for the most part, Herbert was in his room. And nobody ever talked about Herbert's diagnosis no, or Nobody ever talked about it. You're how so we right. How can help Herb just be? How did Herbert get there? Yeah. Like, I, you and know. What's keeping him there? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's challenging. And then even with that, I have a younger brother who went through a mental breakdown during the pandemic, mm. which was which was something that we kind of like missed or overlooked because in everyday life you're moving so fast that somebody not being right may seem like they're okay so you're like oh i'm not gonna push it too much it's just he's just being him but Mm -hmm. then it came to a head and it's like oh so this is what was going on Mm -hmm. and he even said in his therapy session that i had been feeling like this for a year and a half prior to the pandemic i just didn't know how to tell my family us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was like that's alarming because if something he lives with my mother so if something would have happened to my mom as a result of this it's been like we would have all been guilty of it Mm -hmm. so it took a lot like there was a lot of revelation and a lot of things that like came out of going through this two and a half years of like trying to get back to normal and experiencing a pandemic and being an educator and a parent Mm -hmm. yeah that's why i love like when I got into education, I got to start doing specifically social emotional learning. And that's teaching kids to identify your traumas, identify trusted adults, healthy and responsible decision making, regulating your emotions. Like, and how does that show up in such a social setting? So the dynamics between girls and boys, different generations, like 
when you go out into the world, what is race versus ethnicity? You're getting all of this stuff. And it's so fascinating because now that there's more of a push for it, it's still uncomfortable for these kids to be like, well, what do you mean I got to I got to worry about myself? What do you mean I got to think about how I'm feeling? Kids, yo, I was kids journaling every single day. Mm. And it's just random writing prompts. like, And they always hit it. Well, what do you mean? I said, what made you smile today? They said, huh? <laughs> what made you smile today? And they are like bugged out. And they're just like, Mr. Richards, like you really, you look like you water plants. You're always asking me how I'm doing. I was just like, going to say it's like, like stopping and smelling the flowers. They're probably yes. looking at you like, what? what? What's wrong with you? <laughs> but it's funny because like, yes. And I said, huh? They said like, you like a male <laughs> Erica Badu. You always talk about energies and stuff. I said, all right, well. I said, now I'm looking down and I'm wearing like Birkenstocks, earth tones and all of that stuff. Like, I'm very myself. <laughs> um, but it's like funny because the way that I approach discipline or restoration is very different so for my kids when I look at them and they're escalated I'm just like oh what do you need right now and so for me if I had a kid today who was just he was so upset and he's so frustrated and so this is and normally I, I looked at him I said I didn't disrespect you why are you why are you cussing out he was cussing out one of my co-teachers I said we don't we aren't gonna do that we don't do that <laughs> we ain't gonna do that however do you want to take a walk right now do you want to do you need your headphones right now? Do you need to put your head down? What do you need in this moment? And he says, well, I don't know. What do you mean? What do I need? I don't know. And I said, well, what I learned about you so far, let's step out of the room right now because you don't want to be in a room where you're escalated. And let's take a quick walk. I told my co-teacher, here's what they're doing. They're off independent work. I'm going to take him on a walk real quick. He sat there and he talked to me. I said, first, we're going to breathe. <laughs> In for four, hold for four, out for four. <laughs> and just some box breathing. <laughs> and then right after that, doing a couple reps of that and just sitting there in silence with him, he was just like, well, I get really frustrated because I don't feel like I'm a good writer. And so I feel like I'm being pushed in a way that's uncomfortable for me. And so I'm agitated because I know I'm not dumb, but I'm not comfortable with a pencil. And so his uncomfortability in that space was, one, I'm insecure. Two, I don't know how to articulate what I'm upset about. So after school, I was like, well, what do you need by the time we're after school? What, once school is done. So he sat there with me after school and he was able to write and able to sit there. But he was like, I would actually be more comfortable if I could type my answer out. Because he knows, he knows how to speak his answer. Mm -hmm. It's when it's the pencil to paper that scares mm -hmm. him. But it was like, if I can type it out first, that would feel better. So I was like, that is that it? That's an easy accommodation. <laughs> That's easy. So in that moment, like, it was just, I said, you're allowed to feel how you feel. But how you act on those feelings is what is going to determine this thing. And so once you were able to do that, I identified what was wrong. I was able to meet with you halfway we made a game plan, and now I know in class tomorrow, if your laptop is out, and as long as you're being responsible and taking your notes, write your notes on your laptop and then transfer them to the paper. Mm. That is simple. It's an extra step, but it's a step that at least makes you comfortable. I said, if I, if we wouldn't have had that conversation and you didn't feel like safe enough to tell me that, we'd be sitting in here for the next 75 days and you're sitting here miserable in my class. Mm. I said, There's, I'm not trying to be miserable. You're not trying to be miserable. This right. is an easy fix. Let's talk about it. And that's all it was. But I don't know if he was ever used to having the space of just like, well, I prefer to learn this way. And if I can articulate this, then boom. So for me, I try not to approach it of just like, oh, you're annoying and you're angry. Get out. 
actually, what do you need? And that giving them the space to figure it out. It might take 10 minutes, but that 10 minutes is going to be crucial on how they act the rest of my, in the class the rest of my year. Mm. Yeah. And that goes back to like parent support as well. Like I was talking about earlier, like the dexterity and the mental, I mean, academic mental stamina that you need to have to focus, to pay attention, to actually try to challenge yourself to like, I am going to write six strong sentences. My sentence sense, I am going to improve by reading a little bit more and not just reading something that's on social media or an article that you may find on a website that you like. Like you actually have to read. I have a conversation with the kids a lot about how standardized tests are set up for you to basically fail. Mm. Because if you look at it, there's a scale and I can't find the thing that I had, but when I went to community college, there was a woman that was my professor and she had been a teacher in the Philadelphia school district for 40 years. So she gave me, gave us all this printout of, if you make a certain amount of money, let's say you make zero to 15,000, your linguistic ability is limited. You only use about, I think it's less than 20,000 words or something like that, maybe 15,000. Wow. The farther you go up in earnings, the higher your lexicon gets. It expands because when you think about it, if you're a white CEO, you're more likely to be using words that are SAT based as opposed to if you're lacking in your grade level equivalency or your education. So it makes sense. Mm. And then it shows you how these deficits start out and then how they go, they span across whatever educational experience you had. And then the lack thereof, that starts to take away from. So now you fall back into this pitfall of the behavior thing, just self-sabotaging or just dropping out of school. I think that's that um, leads me to something I wanted to, to ask. Um, just in thinking about education and like teacher pay. And I saw that you also had, <laughs> you laughed. <laughs> and like student loans and like how, like how you know, how do you make it? Like, you know, is it satisfying? Well, I just went on studentaid.gov last night and I will be getting to $20,000 because I have a bunch of Pell Grants. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> that'd be uh, <laughs> monumental because that was part of the reason why I didn't finish. I am not fully certified to teach. I was grandfathered in because of No Child Left Behind. Mm -hmm. So I have a certification that is renewed when I do a certain hours of training amount of hours of training but my wealth of experience and exposure to the different settings and educational um positions i've been in was how i got the job mm -hmm. but pay is a huge thing and right now in pennsylvania governor wolf is pushing for there to be a mandate for there to be the starting salary of like i think fifty one thousand, mm -hmm. and that would be what everybody would be raised to who's not currently in that on that pay scale so mm -hmm. they're trying to i guess they're pushing that through or trying to hear it in harrisburg but um yeah the pay needs to be increased it's one of the most thankless jobs that you'll ever be involved in and the amount of like today i explained to you guys i went to see one of my students who was in a motor motorcycle accident they don't prepare you for that in any college course they mm -hmm. don't prepare you that for that in any when you're doing your um teaching stuff requirements for your um certification none of that because these aren't normal things that happen but in the settings that we work in in the schools that i've worked in i've experienced the loss of students on both sides 
white, black, whatever. And it's like, I've never experienced to the extent that I have working at Boys Latin because we sit in the middle of West Philly, because our kids are exposed to neighborhood beefs and violence and things that are going on. And then there's a lineage of it. So and a lot of people don't know West Philly has one of the highest rates of um, generational poverty mm-hmm. in the city. And I think from my own experience, they may have the highest mental health population as well. Mm. But that's a conversation for another day. But I just... I I wanted to speak to the 51,000 because, and somebody can check me, but I think the livable wage in Philadelphia is like 52,000. Right. Mm. And I just had a conversation with somebody last night about how the cost of living supersedes and inflation supersedes what you make so it's like regardless if you get a raise or you increase our pay it's still not going to satisfy mm-hmm. what you need or deserve as an educator mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't and and any parent any administrator that has not taught you can come sit in a classroom you can come sit in our classrooms you can go sit in a public school classroom private whatever and need to understand that these people in here need to be valued and appreciated and they're worth more than you are showing them right now. If you keep it of being the teachers keep the economy going because they say, get these kids back to school. Yep. Because if we don't get them back to school, parents aren't going to work. Mm. Parents aren't taking a train. Parents aren't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> the economy will crumble without a school. <laughs> period. <laughs> we know it. Point blank period. Um. So yes, even off of that idea of we are building the next generation of bosses the next generation of workers the next generation of innovators in a gig economy like you're going to college you're getting all of this so when we think about that i'm like where i'm what i'm making right now as a single man it's great it's okay but i still have side hustles at the end of the day and i still have student loans and a bill multiple bills and all them streaming services which is a scam but we out here so right so it's all of these things that are tied into one but it's really understanding like at the end of the day when we're having this honest conversation one we're actually not getting paid enough considering that we are actually the backbone of the economy we're also the backbone of your development your children's development so when you think about the the dramatic nature of this thing that we do of quite literally developing children, (laughs) raising some some children, (laughs) Um, getting them out to be functional human beings by the time they have to do all of this stuff. Um, No, we're not paid enough on top of the student loans and knowing that millennials are owning less and less. We know that home ownership is the base of building generational wealth, but millennials do not own houses and the oldest millennials are 40. So really thinking about that, Let's really get into it. What are we actually building up? What is actually better for us? And so if you're telling us, even as teachers, we're making a bare minimum and scraping by, there's no way for us to sustain ourselves. There's no way to sustain a generation. And if you think about Philly specifically, it's a home. This is a hometown kind of city. Mm-hmm. People know, you know, everybody. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but even in that moment, when you see us not getting paid enough, when you see the ways that the outcomes are having and you think about the poverty that happens in the city, it's really hard to sustain and feel comfortable in what we do. So it's like, to me, it's a lot of compounding ideas and that compl- that question is a little bit more complicated when you think around the crippling stone, uh, crippling student loan debt, mm-hmm. how much we're actually getting paid, what we're asked to do um, and all of that. So 
and the influx of uh, student violence towards teachers mm-hmm. and aggression has yes, been a, a huge thing. Get them off TikTok. It's been a huge it's funny. thing. And parents out there, if you're listening, if your child wants to try to assault an adult that is trying to educate them and get them to adhere to directions or whatever the case may be, and you're supportive of that, that is the most craziest stance you could ever take. No child should ever try to physically assault a teacher or any admin or any adult in a school building unless they have been threatened or hurt themselves. That's the only time I will condone it. But it's been a lot. It's been a huge influx, and it's been a, it's been concerning to certain extents. We're lucky because we have a student body that really like values us as people. So at times they can check themselves and they they do a lot of regulating. And like you said, we'll take walks. I do a lot of interventions and talk to kids that are not even my responsibility. But I've built a lot of relationships. Like kids can come in, will come in the building. He's witnessed it. Other people that have worked there with me witnessed it, and they thank me for the extra time, the extra tutelage, the extra support. Just listening to them. It's like, oh, my God. And then being rational with them, but being direct, they're like, Stu, I never looked at it that way. I appreciate that. <laughs> and then they're sitting there with the puppy dog eyes like, yeah, that does make sense. I'm like, yeah, if you slow down and think about it, <laughs> it's rational. That's what I'm trying to do. So, And I also tell them all the time, like, I don't talk to them in any different manner than I talk to my own son. So it's a place that care. It's coming from a place of care and concern, like, I'm being direct with you. And sometimes I use explicatives. He's witnessed it. And I'm like, you're <laughs> fucking up right now. And that's just it. Like, and it's not to demean them. It's not to degrade them. But it's like to get through because you have to meet them where they are sometimes. And they're like, oh, so I am getting you upset. And I am disappointing you. Now I need to respond. That'd be the problem. I'm the Zen teacher. I'm real chill most times. I said, oh, y'all getting on my nerves? Gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> It takes a He's lot real, to get me real angry. cut and dry. <laughs> <laughs> so or let's meditate, huh? Okay, I'm not angry. It's more entertaining than anything. And listen to Badu. <laughs> no, I think that's. I think this is so insightful to me. I feel like I haven't been talking as much because it's just so good listening to you two. I think this is like. I don't know. I feel like y'all my teachers. <laughs> I feel like when y'all was talking, I was like, oh, I know that kid. I know so who you're talking you feel about. comfortable. Yeah, I feel comfortable. I was like, I don't know. I can envision you guys in a classroom, in the school building and everything, and just like what you're doing. I think it's amazing, man. Mm. I was like, ooh, it's interesting. Um, yeah. Um, so we're coming up on a close here. So you started bringing it up a little bit i want to end on a bit of a fun note um we have very in the love note um (laughs) (laughs) um so we have questions that we ask at the end of the episode and um i would like to ask them to you guys now if you don't mind they're not incriminating are they just the last one no 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 not yet not yet (laughs) no um we would like to know what is your definition of love (laughs) drama drama (laughs) yes a very light note to end on (laughs) this seems appropriate um my definition of love to actually like authentically show someone that you really care about them, genuinely care about them, 
to I guess um mirror not mirror but um physically show them visibly and through actions what your love is what it looks like for them whether it be a student your significant other a parent whatever like you need to actually take some time pay attention to detail interest that's what i do with the students like if i can repeat something that they thought somebody was not paying attention to but they value and i regurgitate it to them they're like oh shit dude was paying attention like he's he cares <laughs> mm-hmm. he really does love me and actually saying like i love you like mm-hmm. i love you like it's okay mm-hmm. to say that to somebody that you really care about so i think it's like based off of actions it's based off of um doing the right thing when they're not around doing the right thing in concerns to how they would feel about something and um also asking them if they're okay with what you might think is mm-hmm. love too so mm-hmm. you guys can be there can be clarity yeah, I think love is safety. Uh, safe to be vulnerable. Safe to tell somebody when you're upset. Safe to tell somebody when you love them. I think if there's no safety, there's no love. So I think that's just simple to the point. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love it. I love love that. <laughs> no, this this is so great. I'm um yeah. I'm I'm just grateful to have met both of you. Um, Like I said, I don't get to meet that many male teachers um, or black male teachers, especially. Mm -hmm. And to get like a two in one episode. Yeah, I don't even see them. It's amazing when we get a substitute. I'm like, whoa, you staying? (laughs) (laughs) Because don't make me become your friend now. Um, Yeah, so thank you guys so much. This was amazing. Thank you guys for the invite. I appreciate it. Love Josh to death. Love all you guys now. Appreciate the engineer, the video girl, <laughs> the time girl, producer, the producer. and the co-host. It was great. This is my first podcast, so oh, really? I appreciate you did great. it. Natural. Thank you. And to the great uh, Mr. Richards, a.k.a. Marquise, I appreciate him. Um, I witnessed him do some real good things in the classroom with the kids and a lot of respect for him. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Y'all are Thank wonderful. You. This is really dope. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> All right. We'll see y'all. Um, we have a, a, the next episodes are going to be really special. We're going to do roundtables um, about whether teachers and students feel, feel safe, safe in, in schools. schools. So tune in.